glass, ice, pour. Hello and welcome to Whiskey and Rye. I am your host, Ryan Charles Brown, and joining me on the show today is Dr. Carolyn Heldman. Dr. Heldman, thanks so much for being here today. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks, Ryan. So uh, for those of you that are still getting used to the show, I have been a uh, rideshare lift driver for the past three years here in Los Angeles, and I have given over 5,000 lift rides uh, to perfect strangers around this city, and I have had some absolutely wonderful conversations, and what I have discovered uh, in these conversations and also some work in my own life is that uh, men are really, men today are having a hard time understanding what masculinity is, and as I've uh, worked in my own life and as I've been talking with these men, I've kind of come up with this question, when do you know that you became a man? And I myself can't answer that question, and many of the men that I've posed this to, they can't answer that question. So I've decided to take the lift conversations that I've had, and not to define masculinity, uh, but to continue a conversation, these conversations that I've had already, uh, to start to hopefully provide a little bit more insight as to what masculinity looks like today, how men can interact with it, and really the goal is how can we become better men. So uh, in in the 5,000 lift rides that I've given, Dr. Heldman, uh, you were actually one of my lift passengers, and uh, it was it was amazing. We kind of just struck up this conversation, and um, in the end, you were very gracious to say, hey, you know, I would love to help you uh, if you could, and I've had the opportunity to interview you once before, uh, which I'm very thankful for, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to connect with you again to talk about this topic that means so much to me as I am learning how to be a better version of myself. I'm learning that understanding who I am as a man and what that means in today's culture that's changing is really important. So uh, again, not looking to define masculinity or to define what a man is. I think there are people out there that may be trying to do that and and hopefully that's something that we'll be able to talk about in this conversation. Um, But I'm looking to really just provide a space to talk with uh, very smart, uh, people smarter than me, uh, people who do work um, on gender studies or are working with masculinity. And so um, I'm very thankful to be able to talk with you, Dr. Heldman, because you are, uh, you do a lot of work in gender studies. And um, I should say before I get too far ahead of me that um, another special thing about this podcast is I get to uh, I get to share uh, not only great conversations, but I also get to share a little bit of whiskey. Uh, because we're connecting so early here in the morning, uh, we're connecting here at 9 a.m. Uh, Central Time. I'm going to keep my whiskey to a minimum, um, but I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm actually going to do something today that I've never tried. Uh, I'm going to put whiskey in my coffee, and I'm going to see what that's t- right. what that tastes like. Now I know you're not a big drinker, Dr. Heldman. Have you? Have you? No, I'm going to ha- stick with the black coffee. Stick with the black coffee. Have you ever? Tried Tried whiskey and coffee? You know, I haven't. I, I've never. I, I did alcohol once when I was 14. Not for me, but go for, for it. This okay. early in the morning, go for it. Yep. So, okay. <laughs> so there it goes. I'm going to put in just a tiny bit. I'm mean, using my favorite whiskey today, Bushmills. Uh, so we'll put a little Bushmills in, and uh, let's see what this tastes like. Um, oh, you know, that's not bad. Uh-oh. All right. Uh-oh. This... This might be a uh oh. 
this might, not, this, might not, this might not have been a good idea. <laughs> this might not have been a good idea. I think the key is uh, just a just a little. T- I put maybe less than a quarter of a shot in there. It's just a splash. Wow, that's nice. I actually like that. That really brings out the flavor. This is gonna be an interesting conversation. <laughs> so, uh, so I've got my whiskey. I've got my guest, and I'm I'm all set to embark on this conversation. Um, so I want to kick uh, kick it over to you. So let's imagine we're back in that first lift ride. You know, we've been able to talk about things, and um, you know, so we know a little bit about each other. But um, you know, I want to just pretend like we're going back to that initial lift ride. You and I were in the car. We're talking about. Your work, the work that you do, um, you've, you've written countless books on gender, um, gender studies. You're a professor at Occidental College. Uh, you're a, a researcher with the Gina Davis uh, Center. You are executive director of a thousand you know, different things. You're really immersed in this world. So I would love to know, as, as you and I were driving down the road, masculinity comes up. Um, what are some things that you would share about that? Well, I think, Ryan, you've hit the nail on the head that, that defining masculinity is hard, right? And the reason that it's hard is because it's something that we call a social construct, which means that human beings decide what it is, right? So mm-hmm. we tend to think of like men and women and masculinity and femininity as being these kind of set-in-stone things. But the fact of the matter is they're not set-in-stone. We, we as a culture actually determine how these roles are played out. So... Um, for example, you know, when the framers uh, of our country were gathering to write the Constitution and debate that, you know, they were the most hyper-masculine kind of, they were the ideal man of the time. Yep. And they were wearing, you know, powder wigs, high heels, so things that today would not be considered masculine. But we don't even need to go back that far to see how much, you know, it shifts so radically over time. Um Go back to the the 70s, right? John Travolta on the the dance floor would not be considered, you know, standard masculinity today. So masculinity is a moving target and that it's shifting all the time. And we as a society get to decide, you know, how we want it to play out. And I think that the ways that we've decided it's going to play out have actually been really harmful to boys and men. And that's where I enter the conversation. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's kind of giving this narrative of um, this is what masculinity is. You know, we've we've seen the Marlboro Man, and um, I love that you brought up John Travolta and some of the stuff from the 70s. Um, I have my AM voice on today, not because I'm only getting ready for this podcast, but because I was out very late last night seeing the, the legend Elton John at the forum. And, um, oh my gosh, I mean, just everything about that performance was incredible but again talk about pushing the uh pushing the definition of masculinity and really just blazing his own trail and um you know taking a lot of heat for it uh, but th- i think that's really interesting that you talk about this the social construct and this kind of masculinity that we've been given um and how it's really ingrained in our culture um how do you see that y- you know you mentioned that back um in earlier times, you know, the men were kind of ruling things, and 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 uh, masculinity was um, was was very much in in people's face. How do you feel masculinity has kind of steeped into the cracks? And I talk about I'm talking about masculinity in in I'm talking like hyper masculinity in that masculinity that is 
not good, that is oppressive. How do you feel that it's kind of like seeped into the cracks and masculinity has continued to suppress people and continue to kind of express itself in a negative way, but maybe in a way that's not so obvious for people today? Hmm. Well, I, you brought up the Marlboro Man, and I think uh, he is is the epitome of kind of traditional masculinity, right? So he is stoic. Uh, he's bifurcated his head and his heart, so he doesn't have emotions, or he had that one emotion that one time. Um, you're, you're not allowed to uh, be emotional. You're, you're, you need to be in control, and the ways that we teach our boys uh, to be in control is through aggression and through the threat of violence. Mm-hmm. And so we basically have like wounded boys and men walking around who have, you know, many of them have a daddy wound, right? Where their fathers weren't the loving parents that they could have or should have been like any parent should be, um, you know, that, that they pass this kind of, we call it toxic masculinity or traditional masculinity down to their sons. Uh, So they're, they're walking around with this feeling of not being man enough, um, and then you also have this low level, then have this low level of threat from other men if they step too far outside of this kind of box of masculinity where you're aggressive and stoic and in control. Um, and none of these things are good for human beings, right? So it doesn't matter who you are. If this is how you're being told that this is where your worth and value come from and these are the value, this is how you need to be in the world, it comes at this, this incredible personal toll, which is... Uh, you know, higher rates of depression that go unaddressed, um, higher rates of suicide as a result of that, also higher rates of, of risk-taking behavior in order to prove your manhood, which lead to higher higher death rates at every age level. Um, you also have men, you know, literally dying because it's not masculine to seek help and be vulnerable and go to the hospital. So you, you see toxic masculinity not only causing you know millions of boys and men to be less happy than they otherwise would be, but also, in some cases, literally a killer when you're talking about suicide and not not seeking medical help at a hospital. Yeah, I think that's it's such a it's such a shame that the narrative of our culture right now doesn't allow for help in therapy and um, even just conversation. And that's where that's where a lot of the the idea for this podcast came about because, to your point. Um, when people are uh, encountering this part of it. So for me, I'll say I've encountered um, different types of masculinity through different parts of my life, and I've had to kind of relearn how to be a man um, in different areas of my life. And I think even that's really a narrative that is not... um, is not is not out there that I think from from what I remember from my childhood there's a point where you become a man you know it's it's like a single it's like a single instance where you become a man where I'm starting to feel right now like what if you kind of become a man several times in your life you know what what if you don't just become a man when you reach puberty or when you get married like what if because I know for me in my life um I've had to learn how to be a different version of a man at various points in my life as I've tried to become a better man. So as I uh, was courting um, my now wife, uh, I was learning how to be a a man during that time when I'm, you know, kind of courting her and and dating her. And then I'm now learning how to be a new man. You know, fast forward four years, we have a four month old now. We've been married for two years. I'm learning how to be a a new type of a man um, with a husband and a baby. So 
I mean, I think that part of the part of the problem with uh, with young men is is it today is is sort of not telling them that um, you know manhood and masculinity is probably going to be something that you're going to be dealing with once you you know kind of become aware of it whenever that is um and so i think i think there's work i think there's work to be done in there and i think i think if you um and i would love to hear your thoughts on that i would love to hear what you would think about you know what if we change the narrative of you become a man from x to masculinity kind of like gender is fluid it's always changing you you kind of brought that up so how can like what what i think we can better equip people to sort of roll with the changes as they move through different areas of life well and ryan you bring up this great point in in addition to it being you know flexible or fluid uh you you seem to be describing a process where you are rejecting the first brand of masculinity that you mm. learned right yeah. So you're rejecting the tr- the tradition because it doesn't actually work. So you probably is, and, and I can't speak for your life, but I work with a lot of young men and and older men, and over the course of their life, um, they do end up rejecting a lot of the things that they've learned because it doesn't it doesn't make them happy, or they find that you know always having to be in control actually doesn't lead to good leadership or good relationships, and so um, yeah, so you're it sounds like you're rejecting traditional masculinity and finding new ways to be a man or be a human in the world that are not defined by that. And thankfully, an awful lot of men are doing this. Um, Unfortunately, for young men, I think they don't necessarily know that they have that option or have that freedom. And that's where we see the, you know, high high risk of, uh, you know, the high risk behaviors, self-injurious behaviors, addiction, depression. Um, So the coping with, uh, you know, having having to basically self-medicate to cope with the pain that comes from not being fully human because of what you've been told you need to do as a man. Um, it, it lands a lot of young men in jail. Um, it, it lands a lot of young men in depression and some suicide. So I, yeah. I wish that what you're saying now and your kind of the brand of masculinity or, or brands that you are creating and, and the ways in which you're living in the world as a man, you know, I wish you could go back to your younger self and say, look, this is what you can do. Here are the possibilities. I wish every young man had knew that he had those options. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I, and I also think in terms of like pressure and, um, identity crisis, I think, um, even me as a, as a white man, um, I think that I've, even a little bit privileged in the fact that I've been able to really sit down and think about this and, and kind of wrestle with it because I think for um, men, uh, specifically you know young men of color, um, there's a, in America specifically there's I feel a lot more pressure put on um, them to discover who they are faster um, because of a lot of different factors that uh, that me as a white man I don't have really to 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 think about um so i think that's a that's an added component too is is we also live in a in a a time right now where the playing field is not even for for men so you're describing um you know i'm talking about my difficulties and my struggle with masculinity but there's 
you know, I'm just one story of 10 million out there, and there's one that's probably a lot, a lot harder uh, than mine in, in people. And, and that's why I'm so inspired about this conversation, because I talk with men who come from situations way worse than I have. You know, I've talked with men who've overcome homelessness. I've talked with men mm-hmm. who are refugees. Uh, I've talked with men who are, who've escaped uh, sex trafficking and prostitution and, you know, all of these things. Um, and in it's been amazing to even have them open up to me. And I think this sort of new brand of, of masculinity that's coming out, I think more men, as we move towards uh, a society uh, that is holding more accountability, uh, I think more men uh, are responding to it. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit because you spend a lot of time uh, you've been involved in movements, and so I kind of want to talk a little bit about this accountability culture that we live in right now, and and how it's changed, and how do you feel things like the Me Too movement? Um, how do you feel that those have helped uh, masculinity today, if at all? Well, and, and Brian, thank you for bringing up the you know the intersectional critique that people of color, anything you're talking about when it comes to um, classism or, or sexism. Is compounded by racism, right? Yeah. Um, so and feel yeah, free to feel I, free to expand on that if you want to. I don't want to just if you want to talk about that a little bit, go for it. You know, I'd love to hear more on that if you want. Sure. I mean, you did a great job, though, right? This idea that marginalized men have even more pressure, right? So, and and if you look at, I think where we get these ideas, media is a primary shaper of our hearts and minds. Um, and so, when we look at entertainment media, you can see the difference, for example, in in white men and how they perform masculinity and the expectations there. And then uh, men of color, especially in action films, uh, have a, an additional layer, right, of pressure about how they're supposed mm-hmm. to perform. They're typically shown as, as being more sinister or criminal or more violent um, than white men. And so you can actually see the different types of pressure that the various men face. And I think it, it is important to say, yes, marginalized men or men of color um, are, are facing pressures from more self-harmful pressures from masculinity than white men, although we are experiencing it. And in terms of the Me Too movement, you know, great question. This this idea somehow that um, I think that some men are taking it as, um, you know, this is about um, casting men in a negative light, um, although others are, you know, the, the Gillette advertisement, for example, mm-hmm. from a mm-hmm. few uh, weeks ago, um, others are, they're reframing it, right, and saying this is actually a moment where, we can. We have this space now to be better humans. We don't actually have to be defined by by what tradition and norms have told us we need to be. And so, um, you know, while the Me Too movement, I think, is presents um, ground that makes a lot of men uncomfortable because they're unsure of what it means and what their role is in it. Um, I'm heartened to see quite a few men. Um, Baldoni uh, has a the Man Show. Um, Mm-hmm. Sit this, uh, Joseph Baldoni, uh, a, a number of, of um, you know folks have come out. Terry Crews has spoken out about yeah. the space and the freedom that this moment gives men to reconsider all of these scripts that they, th- these things that they've been told about how they're supposed to prove their manhood through sexuality, right? Right. Uh, but men are always that you're supposed to have sex with this, you know, you're supposed to be heterosexual. That's the first kind of pressure. And yep. then from there, you're supposed to have sex with as many women as you can through various, you know, whatever means you can. And then women are cast as, as uh, supposed to be, we're supposed to be gatekeepers, right? And so mm-hmm. we're in these really damaging gendered sexual scripts 
Um, and, and these prominent men and even, you know, brands like Gillette are saying, actually, we can be different. Men don't like this either. So we can reject it and, and hold each other accountable. I want to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite barbershop here in Los Angeles, the Parlor Barbershop. I've been going there for about a year now, and my guy Nick Smile is a whiz with the Clippers, and their shop is just one of my favorite places to go. It's kind of like a retreat for me. It's a place where I can go, have a good conversation with some guys, uh, have a little bit of whiskey, uh, and get a sweet haircut. So uh, if you live in Los Angeles, make sure you check out the Parlor Barbershop in Burbank. And if you don't live in Los Angeles, I recommend you find a barbershop in your town and make it a regular thing because it's the best. Now more with Dr. Carolyn Heldman. So um, I would, I would. It sounds like you're a fi- you reacted favorably to the Jet Gillette commercial because uh, some people didn't. Some some people didn't like it. They they, yeah, didn't, they thought it was you know I've heard some men say like kind of stay in your lane sort of thing. How would you respond to that? Well, their lane is. I mean, so this brings up a bigger question about companies and consumer activism, right? And my mm. assumption is that Gillette looked at their the the men in in their audience and said, well, you know, women are making 85% of the purchasing decisions for household items, uh, <laughs> and and we're we're going to make money off of this. There's no no doubt that they were using this as cause marketing. But at the end of the day, I think the message is threatening to men who want to hold on to traditional masculinity, and I can understand that impulse. Because if you've grown up with something, and you've especially grown up with this idea that if you buy into this idea of what it means to be a man, that means that you are entitled to power, right? Yeah. It's, you're not going to just give that up. It's not, it's not going to be something you just hand over. Um, and so I, I think it's, it makes sense to me that it would be threatening to men who want to hold on to traditional masculinity in, in order to hold on to their place in the, in the social hierarchy. Um, but at the end of the day, there's nothing meritorious about that. There's nothing fair about that. And so, um, you know, I, I reject this idea that there are certain people who should naturally be on, on the top of the social hierarchy. Um, I, I don't think it – it's actually, I think, un-American in that it's not meritorious. It's not democratic, right? And yeah. if we truly espouse these beliefs, we want a culture where everybody can rise based upon what they do and not, not who they are. I agree with you. And there's so many things in what you said that I want to comment on. So I'm, I'm going to take them a couple at a time. But I think I think when I'm when I'm listening to what you're saying in terms of men wanting to um, hold on to traditional masculinity, from my point of view, um, as I've been dealing with uh, kind of breaking down my own privileged biases and things like that. Uh, one of my fears uh, that I had to let go of uh, during this new time truthfully was accountability. I was afraid of accountability. I was afraid of being held accountable for my actions. And I think, um, I think for me, one of the things that has helped in that is talking with other men about what actions are appropriate and understanding how even some of the basic things like you talked about media really shaping us. Uh, I think even understanding how we are impressed upon by media and other things. Um, I was even just talking with my uh, with my wife about this last night as we were coming home from the concert. 
even when we use certain, you know, TV shows as as kind of like, a, you know, we throw in a quote from a TV show and we just assume that everyone watched that show. One of the shows that I watched growing up was Friends. And man, if, if I go back and watch Friends now and I see how the men in that show act towards the women and I see kind of how it's set up, it really shocks me how that ten that the show went on for ten years and it and it it was just really uh when I watch that show I see the men running kind of everything in the women sort of just playing uh this this complementary character. Um and, and I think if that's just one show, how many times is that happening over and over and over again? So again, in terms of like men understanding accountability, I think that's one of the greatest opportunities right now. And one of the things that I'm thankful for with the movements and um, all of the, you know, the women who are speaking out right now and, and people like Terry Crews, who's, you know, advocating, uh, I'm a big fan of his, I love the show Brooklyn nine, nine, but I like him mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, but I think he has really um, found his voice in this area right now, and, and it's really inspiring to me who's trying to find my voice in this area. So I'm really encouraged uh, when I think about the movements and, and things like that uh, that have come about in, in the, the, the change in the narrative, the people that are speaking out against this. I love the, uh, the option and the opportunity to step into something new and to change, again, this idea of, what it means to be a man. Um, I think we can, we, and as we're hearing from more voices uh, on what that, what that means, uh, I think it's, it's really exciting. So you brought up, um, you brought up something uh, that I want to, that I want to talk about, because you do a lot of, you do a lot of political work. Um, and um, actually, you know what, before I get into that, you mentioned something before, um, you said some of the work that you do with, um, with men and, uh, do you, do you work with young men? Like at what ages do you work with men? You said you mentioned that you do a little bit of work with, with men and boys. What, what ages do you work with? Well, really from, uh, age seven up. So I'm the new executive director of the representation project and oh, I've wow. worked with the organization for years. It was started by Jennifer Siegel Newsom, who's now the first partner of, of California. Um, okay. and, She uh, made a film back in 2015 called The Mask You Live In, and it's all about the mask that boys and men are asked to put on. And so um, we've been working with boys and men in this space for a number of years, um, trying to find ways in which they can find peace and they can heal from the wounds that masculinity, traditional masculinity has inflicted. Um, and so I work with, yeah, boys of all ages, um, quite a few young men, uh, high school men and, and some men in prison, um, who are, you know, figuring out that masculinity didn't serve them well, a little too late, uh, for some of them, but wanting to, um, you know, spread the word and, and help other men in their lives. That's amazing. Anytime that men realize that they have a gift to then share with other men, I think is amazing. Um, at, you know, what ages do you find, and, and maybe it, it, it maybe this kind of proves my, my hypothesis that men are, de- are struggling with identity of masculinity throughout their whole life, but do you find that there's any specific amount of time that men, that men or young men are struggling with this the most, like, you know, grade school, um, early teen years? Is there, is there really, is there any time that you've noticed that you're like, wow, this is really either the crucial time or the kind of the breaking point for men as they're moving into masculinity? 
Yeah, there are a few key points um, when boys grapple with this and men grapple with this. Um, I would place the first around sixth grade, where that's the child psychologists find that that's where uh, boys really start feeling the pressure to yeah. fit the man box. Um, there's oftentimes another struggle, um, late high school, early college, if you're going to college, but young, you know, young adulthood, um, where you're trying to make your way in a world that values you for, you know, your, your money and your prestige, but you don't have any of that. So how do you prove your manhood in other ways? Um, and then I'm finding now that, that it's the, the Me Too movement, uh, that a lot of men who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s are reconsidering wow. the, their actions throughout their life course, which is, you know, it's a great moment for self-reflexivity, as difficult as that might be. Wow, that's uh, that's that's amazing. That's got to be um, that's got to be a difficult space to not only to, to to I guess interact with interact in because men in that certain age, um, there's a woman named Allison Armstrong who. Um, has an organization called Pax for uh, for Pax for Women. Uh, she she's done a an Understanding Men series. She's done a lot of things. Anyway, um, she has this uh, this level of life. She she says when men enter their 50s, 60s, and 70s, they're in what's called king mode, in that their minds and their sort of habits are kind of made up already. Meaning they're not really open to thinking about new things. They're sort of stuck in their ways. Can't teach an old dog new tricks t- type of deal. So. Um, to hear you say that men entering this phase of life are open to uh, thinking about their actions and to open to self-reflection, that gives me hope for the next generation because I believe it's those men who are the Marlboro men generation, the ones who sort of set the masculinity for us. I think it really is, uh, in terms of accountability and responsibility, I think it really is up to them a lot uh, to say, hey, we need to be doing this better because uh, oftentimes in movements and in, 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 in social change, it's, it's uh, the, 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 the ones leading this are the women. Like, let's be honest, you know, and even I think in going forward with the women's march and the Me Too movement, even in changing the narrative of masculinity, that's even being led by women and men are kind of like, OK, yeah, we should probably like pick this up, too. And so I think um, I'm very encouraged to hear that uh, that men are are exploring this later on in life. And I will even say. My dad uh, is in his 70s, and he is, uh, for the first time, exploring some PTSD from his time in Vietnam and things Uh like that. And and him and I have, even just in the few months that he's explored these conversations, our our conversations have grown to uh, a much more deep and intimate level, and we're able to connect and talk about things. And he's able to talk with me about things from his life and... um, you know, struggles that he went through that, uh, that I I never knew about and he probably couldn't express before. So I think that's, Mm. I think that's amazing. And, um, yeah. So I don't know if you want to comment on that or if there's anything to jump in. You know, that is, that is amazing, Ryan, that your father is getting some healing this late in life. Right. Um, I don't know what facilitated that. And I, I should, one proviso is I will say that the, the, the men who are pushing back the hardest against, uh, you know, to protect traditional masculinity are also men in in that age group. Right. But, but I've seen right. and it just we've heard from an incredible number of men who are really listening to Terry Crews yeah. and are thinking about why is it that you know Woody Allen still still gets jobs and 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 Brian Singer and 
and Bill Cosby, you know, 62 survivors and how many decades before he was held accountable in R. Kelly. So there are, we're hearing from a lot of men on, on social media when we screen the films. Um, it, we are hearing that they, there's this world that, that they're starting to question, you know, whether it's fair. And they're also, they just didn't realize how bad it is for girls yeah. and women. Um, right. and, and I would add, I, I think people don't realize how, how bad it is for boys and men. Um, I mean, I, I think gender, you know, rigid gender roles are toxic uh, yeah. for both men and women. And, and I love the fact that we're now having a conversation about how masculinity, traditional masculinity harms boys and men. Um, the men in my life have been profoundly shaped by and harmed by masculinity. And I would love, I mean, what's happening with your father is it's beautiful because that, that could happen with all men um, mm-hmm. where we as a culture to really take this health, public health crisis seriously. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, as, as, uh, as a new father, uh, as I have a, I have a four month old and, and really my son Reese is, he's a lot of the motivation behind it, really, uh, me figuring out how to teach him what healthy masculinity looks like. And so for me to be able to now go back to my dad and talk with him about how he grew up and to hear, um, you know, different things uh, from his life. He's actually, um, I'll just go ahead and release the spoiler alert. My dad's actually going to record a podcast for me. Uh, we're going to record a podcast together. So um, so that's going to be coming out um, when I do the launch of the, of the show, uh, which is going to be really exciting because we're just, uh, it, it's, uh, we've already kind of talked about what we're going to talk about and uh, had pre-conversations and it's, um, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it, but but again, I think um, this uh, this idea of you, to to your point, you're exactly right. There are a majority of the men from his age group that are pushing back, but the I think that it, we live in a time where um, it's good to celebrate um, progress uh, whenever it happens, mm-hmm. and so I think uh, it's good to move forward. Uh, with that and I'm, I'm looking forward to that so um i i want to um i think this seem this feels like a good time to to shift into a little bit of your work on because uh, you do a lot of work in politics as well you're in you're in san francisco right now uh covering the state of the union which we has it what's going on with the state of the union do you have any idea i have no idea <laughs> well, the state of the union uh, i thought it was interesting yesterday that chris christie actually discussed the role that manhood is playing in Donald Trump's presidency, right? And Mm. he said, look, Donald Trump needs to stop viewing every single policy battle as a moment to prove his manhood or every decision as a moment Mm. to prove his manhood. And Trump is performing a very uh, kind of almost a caricature of traditional masculinity. Um, and, And I think he... That was part of how he rose to power, right? How he, how he ascended, because a lot of men are, are feeling very, uh, and in 2016 and, and for maybe a decade now, have been feeling like they don't know their place. And so Donald Trump told them their place. Their place right. is rightfully, you know, at the head of the household, at the, you're in charge of things. So he used this, you know, inflammatory, um, racist and sexist rhetoric in order to make men who are concerned about their place in the world, uh, white men in particular, feel more comfortable and, and, and feel like their place is set. Um, and so he, those appeals to me as I was watching it unfold, I was thinking, 
ah, okay, so here it is. This is, and people see it as it being a very negative thing. And of course, um, I I think the Trump presidency has been empirically negative um, in many different ways. But I also see it as a positive thing in that Trump's ascendancy actually signals that we are having a an actual shift in our culture. Mm-hmm. We're having an actual shift because if we weren't, we wouldn't see the backlash that is Trump. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I um, so I've been I've been in this when I think about the current administration. Politics was not something that I got involved in until this last election, and I, I'm I'm ashamed of that. Uh, it's one of the things that I have actually worked on and incorporated as part of what it means to be a man. What it means to be a man doesn't necessarily mean having a strong political affiliation. It means, though, that you are in you are well versed in the political happenings of your state, your local government, and your country. That's just, you know, if you're not involved, I think what we've seen from this last election is uh, shit's going to get done behind your back. So you might as well get involved because they're going to spend your money <laughs> on stuff that you don't want them to spend your money on. As I was walking past the damn L.A. Rams stadium, thinking, uh, "L.A. Why? You know what I mean? Like why? You know, we I, I understand it, but it's like, geez, we've." You know, we've got people sleeping on the streets in this weather, and yet we're building these grandiose stadiums for teams that barely even are here that no one even really cares about. But now we're in the Super Bowl, and now everybody cares. I even heard one of the football players like, well, we're a football town now. So anyway, I'm going on a tangent on how we spend our money. But <laughs> I think um, – But my, my point is um, – when you when i think about the the new trump administration i don't really see as i've been doing research on this i don't really see anything new that he's that he's doing i watched a documentary um recently called the reagan show are you familiar with that i am mm-hmm. on, on hulu and mm-hmm. um the reagan show they really talk about how you know the 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 picture that they they painted of ronald reagan was that from his movies and from his movies he they even mm-hmm. say in the way he is the all-american hero he he's he is the savior um and you know i i grew up religious so you know i i, I know how religion in the in the state and all of that is tied in together we're obsessed with this idea of i mean i'm just gonna come out and say we're obsessed with this idea as a culture of a white man coming to save us that's that's like when we get in these times of recession or when, when things are low, and that was really Reagan's entire presidency. He just went on TV and talked about how bad shit was, and people were like, oh, but look, he's so nice. And it's like, to me, I see the exact same thing happening in the Trump administration. He's just not being nice about it. He's just being himself. So when I see uh, this current administration, and maybe you can comment on this a little bit because you know a lot of politics, I just think that he's put. I think this current administration, all he's really doing is just employing tactics that have been successful for other presidents, but he's just employing them in a way that I don't feel will ever be successful. Well, yeah, absolutely. So he is—he's recycling a brand of mass of presidential masculinity that we have seen before. We've seen it twice before. We saw it with Teddy Roosevelt, and we saw it with Ronald Reagan, and it just so happens that at both of those moments in time. The position of white men was being challenged in fundamental ways by women advancing um, their rights and by people of color advancing their rights. Mm. So during these periods of um, social upheaval, 
mess, a, a certain chunk of the population, mostly white men and, and white women as well, uh, turn to this this white man as the embodiment of the prototypical citizen. And that is really how we think of the president. So we we tend to think of his office as being you know, symbolic of the ideal citizen. And so when you ask most Americans, uh, almost two-thirds of them um, say that the ideal citizen, is what comes to mind is a white man. Um, so it is not uh, a mystery as to why Trump ascended, because we actually are in a period where because of and, and lots of different factors, but I would say that the big one is, is social media um, has allowed um, people who normally don't have a voice in power to have a voice in power in shaping our cultural norms and our values. Um, and so you, you see people like Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez rising to a position of power at the age of 29, aided by, uh, you know, essentially um, obviously pressing the flesh in her district, but also, uh, you know, an online phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the power being in the hands of people that it's not normally in, and in response, um, and I know that you know she was elected two years after Trump, but this has been happening for for almost a decade since the advent, um, you know, of social media. Uh, we see this pushback against women and people of color advancing their power in very public ways. Um, we see you know movements that that give people power that don't normally have power. Um, aided by social media and online activism like Black Lives Matter. Now, everyone is seeing videos of police brutality. And so even though police brutality has been the norm since the founding of our nation and prior to that, um, we we now can't turn a blind eye as a nation because we see the videos, right? And so we, we have this powerful new medium, which... You know, we haven't fully used it. We haven't reached our potential in, in terms of using it for marginalized folks. But um, it it is a tool that is shifting the conversation. And when you shift the conversation, that means you could shift cultural norms. And there's a lot of pushback against this. And and it has definitely come in the form of, you know, Donald Trump um, rising to power, using the rhetoric, saying, you know, using the rhetoric of, of putting down the progress of women and people of color. And when you look at, you know, the slogan, Make America Great Again, he's really making a not-so-thinly, you know, thinly-veiled reference, maybe, to uh, a time when women and people of color didn't have the power that they have in our society. So masculinity is inherently entwined in the presidency, but it's also inherently entwined in power and hierarchy and how we view, uh, you know, white men's proper place in the world. Tune in next week to hear part two of my interview with Dr. Heldman. And I, again, want to thank her for all that she was able to share in this first bit and encourage you to come back because she has some great things to share in part two. want to say thank you to The Deep West for providing great music. Make sure you're, finding, uh, you're following along with them at The Deep West on Instagram. Keep your eye out for their music. That will be available on streaming platforms very, very soon. Uh, follow along with me on Twitter and Instagram at Whiskey and Rye Pod at both. Would love to hear how you're enjoying the show so far and uh, would love just to say, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Come back next week to hear part two with Dr. Carolyn Heldman. Until then, I raise a glass to you. Cheers. Cheers.